0: You know, the top of the world's a relative thing, though, isn't it? Like it's. I mean, yes, of course. I can't, sit you know, can't stand here and, and lie to you and go, oh, no, it's great. Listen, I've had a very, very, very fun last few years from a work perspective. You know, I've I've made some really. I've had some really good times. You know working on mandalorian let's say you know inventing a new technology with our friends at lucasfilm and ilm figuring out what that technology is good for trying to put a put a line in the sand saying if you're going to use this technology it has to look at least this good you know and I'm not saying it looks good but the thing is that it, it it's a point for people to improve and then going on to something like dune which you know i mean, working with denise Villeneuve it was a dream you know and, and had a great time, great crew, great bunch of people I and mean, then going on to Batman. So yeah, no, I've had a very good run uh, from a from a creative standpoint. Um, and then, you know, obviously winning an Oscar is a bit of a icing on the cake. It's it's not the be all and end all, but it's a nice little sort of nice little finish to the to that run. Mm. Before we started on June part two. So that's a long winded way of saying yeah, I'm on top of the world, but at the same time, I'm also being realistic, where I'm like, well, right the, the, the story doesn't finish here, does it?
1: Right, I guess that's one of the things I'm curious about. Like, at some point, you know, I think we we set all these little goals for ourselves, the things we want to do, and you know, it's constantly that experience of the mountaintop moving, and you get to to one thing, and the next thing comes up. What do you like? How do you recalibrate at that point where? You know, not that it is the mountaintop and it is a momentary Mm -hmm. state, but it's like, how do you even decide what's next now? You know, it's like, well, I've got an Oscar, I've got this, that, and the other thing. Like, what's left to do?
0: Yeah, it's a good question because the thing is that a lot of people assume that the Oscar is the ultimate goal. You know, we're driving down the road why to get to the Oscar? That's what a lot of people assume that. Particularly people who are not in our business, Um, they assume that. Okay, well, I'm only doing what I'm doing to get an accolade which is nothing further from the truth in fact it's it's actually almost a negative thing because suddenly it pits, an award like that pits me against another cinematographer you know and then it becomes a competition which filmmaking is not a competition, it's the opposite of a competition, like filmmaking is a collaborative process where where there's room for everybody's ideas um, and and Different types of cinematographers and different types of cinematography. So, in some ways, you know, that wasn't really a, a target. But what I think what, what's what's a bigger question, and it, and it and it does pose a question, is what to do next. You know, like what, what do I do next? That's the thing. It's like, what do you do it, that that still gives you that feeling of getting up, wanting to get up in the morning to get out and shoot. Like what's, is it a different type of story? Is it a different type of technology? Is it a different type of genre? Is it a different job? You know, do right. I, do I stay a cinematographer? Do I expand? I mean, I've been, you know, on Mandalorian, I was, uh, you know, I was credited I DTP, but I was also a co-producer on Mandalorian. You know, working on a film now going forward where I'm also um, in that role. Which is a, a a bigger role than just a cinematographer. You know, what do I do differently? I don't know. It, it it's about I, g- I guess it's about just making sure that you're excited to get up in the morning, that you're doing the right job, regardless of how much it pays, or regardless of how much how many accolades it will get or could get, but that it actually excites you. You know, mm-hmm. what are you getting out of it? Are you enjoying? a particular new technology, new camera, new lens package that you're relearning. You're shooting a different format. You're shooting like 9.16 for Snapchat rather than 16.9 for TV. Like, what is it about the, the job that is giving you something back rather than you just giving to it? Like, you've got to take something from each job. Like, you've got to, selfishly, you've got to learn something each job. You've got to, you know, not just the cash. I mean, we all know why we do why we need cash but it's got to be more than that you know that's why I think that's why I'm in this business is because I'm constantly being challenged and I'm constantly being scared I'm trying to I'm being given challenges about how do I do something differently or better than the last time I did it or last time someone did it or like you know I mean we've yeah we're, we're soon to start on June part two I mean it's got to be better yeah. doesn't it It's gotta be better. Otherwise what's the point of doing it? You know, and it's going to be.
1: That's so exciting, man. Yeah, so I'm I'm curious, like, because I I totally agree with that. I think something that I, you know, learned the hard way for myself shortly after we talked last time, you know, after Rogue One was this idea of like the And I'd be curious, I guess, to know, you know, you're already obviously so high up in the echelons, but like once you win an Oscar, I feel like there must be some degree of, you know, now you've got ad agencies who maybe weren't keeping track of features that are wanting you to shoot commercials. Like you have all, you have a potential glut of opportunity and now you have to sift through a million options of people wanna, who want to give you a bunch of money to make really cool stuff and decide, like, yep. what do I actually want to do? And I feel like my experience was that uh, the glut of opportunity is almost harder than the absence of opportunity. So, like, what do you, how do you say no to stuff? And how do you decide, you know, in, as a guy who could shoot anything, what you actually go do?
0: Well, it, it, has, to light a, it has to light a fire. It has to ignite something. It has to give you, as I was saying before, it has to give you something back, uh, and that that something uh, is rarely cash. It's rarely, rarely, rarely cash. Now, that's not to say I haven't done jobs for cash, and of course I have, like everyone in, on the planet. You know, I've had to. Um, but if, you, if your north star isn't that, if your north star is the um, is the is the that ignition, that fire, then I think. It becomes quite clear what you have to do out of that 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 plentitude of options let's say i mean uh, i will say this i i'm i've already um, i've already signed on for a movie so therefore I, i i don't have those opportunities so i don't have that problem if it if you want to call it a problem you know like i don't have that staring me in the face right now but but i know what you're talking about and i going forward um whether or not an oscar has given me more opportunity or actually less. I mean, what? Well, listen, that's a. you could argue that it's actually given me less. Some people have said because people won't call me for that really cool indie $100,000 feature that they're, they're getting up that mm. is going to y- y- light my fire. And maybe they, they will never offer that to me because they'll be like, oh, there's no way that guy will do that. Whereas actually as a part of an opportunity, I might because it might really talk to me at that point in time. So, yeah, you, I don't know. There's no right or wrong answer to that, but it's all about it's all about igniting that passion, the creative passion, and being happy and content. Not because somebody says you should be happy and content because you're doing a big movie, let's say, or a big commercial, or you know, working with this latest bit of kit, but because you're actually uh, excited internally. So. That would be the thing that I would be kind of trying to say to anybody. That's what I have to tell. Also, I have to tell it to myself too because, you know, there's two two different voices in one's head. One is the heart and one is the head. You know, there's logical reasons for doing things. Your head's saying, well, if you did this, it could lead to that. It could be a stepping stone and that director knows that director. So, therefore, you know, dot, 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 the logical. But then there's the heart. That makes no sense whatsoever, and very often makes makes illogical uh, choices. Um, but they're the right ones because it's your it's your heart and soul, and particularly in our industry, as creative people, we have to be in tune with that with that heart and soul.
1: Mm. How do you balance or manage? Because, like, you always strike me, uh, and it's one of the things that I have really respected, to be honest, is like for a high level uh, filmmaker, you're a very accessible person. And you mentioned this idea of like the sort of the paradox of sometimes losing opportunity as you uh, are perceived in certain ways. How do you manage that idea of like being accessible versus? I don't know, just sort of like you you don't want to be too accessible because you've got stuff you're doing, but you also don't want to lock out things and just put your – I don't get the sense that you want to be in this hyper-exclusive club of only talking to ASC members or anything. So, like, how do you manage that?
0: I mean, obviously, one needs to um, uh, protect their own mental health. And when I say that, I mean, like, time and also time with family you know what I mean like you have to prioritize yourself and your family over over anybody else which it does get harder the more the more formats you have the more you know um the more mediums you have to communicate the more opportunity you have to communicate which puts more pressure on you to communicate um so i don't know i try and balance that you know i try and balance it but you know the thing that that really excites me about this business is the stuff that that non-ASC members are doing. I mean, listen. I'm not going to. I use ASC member as working professional photographer, code four, working professional photographer. Um, there are people who are doing really cool things with prosumery type lenses and cameras and lighting and you know and, and computer graphics and Unreal engines who are not classic traditionally trained cinematographers. And I love. I get inspired by seeing. Other, people, uh, other other people's voices. You know, I get inspired by seeing voices of people who um, who may not have the opportunity to shoot, um, you know, a big film. Because, again, it is a little bit embarrassing when I say, well, I've done Dune, I did Batman, and now I'm doing Dune 2 and I just won an Oscar. Like, it's a little bit kind of, it's a little bit, like, embarrassing, actually. Because I would love to be able to go, yeah, you know, between those two films, I did a... Really cool, independent, hundred thousand dollar feature, but I haven't had the opportunity to do that, and I haven't been able to do that. Um, but I would like to keep learning from the people that make those, make those films. Um, so yeah, the accessibility is a good question. It's just, it's, a, it's always a struggle because of just time. You know, just time. Mm. We only we only have we only have time's our most valuable resource, like yours, mine, like it's our most valuable thing we'll never get back. So. It's just trying to juggle those factors about making sure that I'm, again, looking after number one and also the family, but also, I don't know, just just staying out there in the world.
1: Yeah. On that time note, um, I forgot to ask you, how much time do you have here? I just want to make sure I'm not running long on you.
0: Probably, if I I can talk for another 10 or 15, I reckon, 5.30, my time, which is in about 16 minutes. Okay, we can do that.
1: Um, On that note, then... Back to like, because I was thinking about this actually, and and this is another thing that I really respect about you is the sort of I guess I would just say it's like a lack of pretension. But even for me, it was like when I took a step back from like shooting uh, mostly bigger, crewed up commercial stuff on RE cameras, and was like, I'm just gonna go play around with like the FX6 for a while, or like some of this new um, technology, and try to go like do really cinematic, but really compact footprint doc stuff. I find a lot of fun in going between both of those worlds. And I think there tends to be this public perception of like a hierarchy that bigger is always better. And so someone maybe would look at at your portfolio and go like oh well he's never going to do something like lion again because he got the chance to do dune but i don't Mm -hmm. get the sense that how do you think about those two sorts of like approaches to filmmaking is one worse and the goal is just to do you know billion dollar features or like what's what's the joy of doing things small
0: well the joy is partially is the experience of making a, a small intimate story for no money and then there's also the 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 the, the bragging rights of being able to say, Hey, I did that for no money or very little money. When all you guys are off there making a billion dollar movies and what's, what's better or not better, but look at them, the compared, you know, like, so there is a certain level of bragging, bragging rights that I do enjoy. Um, but it's not about an ego brag either. It's about, about achieving something for little money. Um, that's good, you know. About using your resources really, really, really wisely and really carefully, you know. And and the cost of something this is a, this is a big, big, big um, problem. And I think you sort of hit upon it before. Like a bigger is better camera, is it? No, no, it's not actually. I, and and same with lenses, is is bigger and more expensive better? It's like no, absolutely not. You know, we on the Batman we. Um, we were putting together a chase unit um, because we had to shoot the car chase, and schedule-wise, we didn't quite have enough le- uh, enough lenses to, to cover both the units at the same time. Because we were shooting stuff, they were shooting stuff, we crossed over, and so I had to solve a bit of a problem, which meant that I needed smaller lenses and lightweight lenses that strapped to the strapped to cars, and so we started testing these fantastic sort of Soviet-era glass. Um, that uh, iron glass uh, were rehousing, and dude, they were amazing. These lenses were absolutely amazing, and the job that those guys did of re of rehousing was perfect because they were small, they were lightweight. They put the oval iris in, the the bokeh was you know a bit more anamorphic li- feeling, so they fit in really well. Now that that glass that lens cost sixty dollars on eBay. Yeah, and the lens that we were using. Or main unit, the real lens, the professional lens, and I say in inverted commas, was like what forty grand or whatever the cost of that lens. So was the forty grand lens. It was a great lens, by the way, but was it that much better than the eighty dollar eBay lens? No, and they're in the film right next to each other. No one can tell me which one's which. Do you know what I mean? Like so, I I, I think there's a certain and I would love to knock that perception on its head. I would love to more than anything be the with a DP that knocks the perception that the more money you have, the better things are going to be, because I don't believe that to be the case. Like money, sometimes can reduce limitations, particularly when you're dealing with sequences. Um, but the idea that what we use as as DPs. Is, is dependent on, on cash. I, I just don't believe it. Mm. I don't believe it because, you know, the FX6, that's an amazing camera. FX3, it's an amazing camera. You pair that with the glass that I was just talking about. You, you're making a movie and you've spent a couple thousand bucks. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's amazing. And I think that's exciting. That's what's happening more and more now as we get sort of further along in history is that, Equipment keeps getting better, and but the perception hasn't changed. Where people are like, Well, no, I've got to shoot this on an Ari. We go, No, I'm shooting on an FX3 or FX6.
1: I have okay, so I have two things that I I think are interesting to dig into there because I totally agree with you. I think, OK, so the first one I would say is like, what are your thoughts on? Because I think there's this perception when people hear that, that it's like, oh, the tools keep getting better and cheaper and cheaper. So our, val- our value is going down because now anyone can make a movie with nothing. And what are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, I, I, I don't. Th- I mean, our value in, in the eyes of whom would be the question. Um, in, in, in the eyes of ourselves, I hope not, because that's that'd be sad. In the eyes of producers, well, th- th- unfortunately that producers and people who are spending the money are always trying to devalue anybody they can, you know? like, But, but you, you c- a cinematographer or a vision, a, a, like a photographic vision is always required for something, always required. Otherwise, you end up with something that doesn't have um, focus, not literal focus, c- clarity of... Of, of idea, mm. so, so, yeah, yeah, Just because the the cost of um, the lenses and the equipment is going down, I don't think devalues the the artistic vision. Uh, I mean, it shouldn't. If it does, then that's sad, and I, I I know you'd agree with that. But yeah, you know, but also too, pr- producers and co. Are, you know, often they're they're quite savvy and often not, not always often they're quite savvy where they, they know what the job of a cinematographer is you know it's not just to point a camera it, it into the sun and have a an actor be backlit I mean anyone can say that it's about the overall vision for a movie about watching a movie and saying and or, or a pr- product and feeling like it's coherent visually um I did a I did a talk actually at the um at a film school, and, and we talked about those lenses, that lens I, I was just telling you about. And one of the questions was Didn't the producers have an issue with you shooting on $80 eBay glass? And it was a valid question because, had any producer known that's what I was doing, they might have gone, Really? Are you sure you don't want to spend $20,000 no. on, on a lens? Like, you sure? But my answer to that was basically, well, they didn't ask. First of all, because I didn't tell them. And second of all, who are they to tell me that I couldn't? Like, mm. that was my job. My job, and that's what they're paying me for, is to make decisions about the visuals. And if I thought this particular lens was as good as the twenty or $30,000 lens that they used on their last movie, well, yeah, I didn't, I didn't think they had a... a, a a right or even a, a need to ask those questions because right. they that, that's not their job right that's that's our job.
1: Well, and it's so, a it's a question yeah. of trust on some level, right? Like, I, I had a similar experience uh, in some ways where I, I sold uh, my Amira a few years ago and bought an FX9, and a lot of people have been like, oh, don't, is it hard to, like, sell people on the FX9? And I was like, we don't talk about it. Like, it's not a yeah. part of the conversation. I feel like if you're hand-fighting over that, it's like a signal that maybe they don't trust you on the imaging side to yep. begin with. Um, yep. So... On that, like, I would be curious any thoughts you have on, because I've been I've been trying to dig into this idea of like something that I found um, a lot in in commercials specifically, but I think it, it happens. You know, it's sort of the nature of the universe is. The cost of of our desire for certainty and this spiral of we're going to spend more money to try and be sure of an outcome so then because we're spending more money we need more insurance and you get this sort of like production bloat that at some point you lose all ability to be nimble and creative um, because you're just sort of getting into this like pure execution insurance mode. Yep. And to me, there's this element of creativity that requires uncertainty. And so I would just be curious your thoughts on that, especially now that you are doing hyper, hyper expensive movies. Like how do you mix the need for some level of certainty and with the ability to be creative and figure things out as you're going?
0: Well, that, that problem that you're, you're bringing up is the eternal problem of filmmaking. It's that you need somebody to back up that person, and then that person needs somebody or something to back up that person. But by putting those two extra backups, insurance policies in place, it's extra cost of food, people. All you know, as you know, it's like a knock-on effect that that becomes super expensive. Therefore, as you said, suddenly things become more prescriptive. When you want to then, you know, have everyone go away. It's very hard, very hard. I just did a, um, I did a commercial um, with Chloe Zhao uh, recently, well, fairly recently, probably late last year. And Chloe loves to work with no, no, no crew. And so she said very early in the day, listen, guys, I really appreciate you guys being here, but come magic hour, I need all of you to go away. Um, and she said it in a very nice way, very respectfully. Um, and this is why I loved working with her. And so I love working this way you know, magic hour comes. Okay, guys, go away. Thank you very much, guys. We'll call you back in an hour. You know, start shooting. Turn the camera around. And there's a there's a craft service table set up. They move from somewhere to somewhere and we're like, whoa, dude. Like, And then the argument's like, well, there's crew here. They need craft service. And you're like, yeah, but now you're stopping me from doing my job, which is finding the beautiful gold moments at this time of day with these characters because the... the the production, the, the the circus that is a production, overtakes what you're actually there for, which is to capture a moment or capture a um, you know a moment in time between two or three people or two people, or, and the circus gets in the way of that. And I think I'm constantly, constantly, constantly looking for ways to to make it better, you know. And that's part of you know, I love doing that on a on a big feature film. You know, there are times where on a big film, you might be standing in the middle of a Jordanian de- desert with a lot of people backing you up, but they all go away and you spend a little moment there with with only a couple of people. Like on, on June, part two, sorry, part one, part one, because we're doing part two now. Um, on June, part one, we went to Abu Dhabi with literally 15 people. We took a costumer, three actors, um... No sound recordists, a couple of cameras, a couple of people, like tiny, tiny, tiny. Got up in the morning, shot sunrises, went back to the hotel. Like it was the most joyous experience because we were working on this big film, in adverted commas, but we were a tiny little unit. It was the most fun actually that I've had working on a feature in a long time because it felt like back in the days when we were making movies with 10 people or 11 people. Very liberating. But you, you have to work harder at that. I guess that's the point. That's my long-winded answer. The point is you have to work harder, and that becomes something you have to go, no, we don't need a jib just in case. No, we don't need that lens just in case. We'll, like, limit ourselves to four lenses, therefore one case, not three cases. Like, you know what I mean? You have to make really hard decisions. But those decisions make for a better result at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, that's so good. Last question, and then I'll let you go. Um, You have, you know, you've been present on Instagram. (laughs) You've been present in in my life, uh, both just like in simple things like texting about digital Sputnik lights and having these conversations. And you've taken other young cinematographers like Kate Ayers, Mendy, and, and Oren Soffer and pulled them into projects. Why do you seem so intentional about investing in younger cinematographers
0: and filmmakers? It's a, it it, it, it sort of goes back to what I was talking about. I like, I like being inspired by other people's work. Um, You know, Kate's work. I love Kate. Kate's a very different cinematographer to me. And that's what I love about her work. You know, I, I, I'm very, very close with Ari Wegner. You know, Ari was my assistant on a on a film, she was my trainee actually on a film about twelve or thirteen years ago. But I love her work. Watching her work with Jane Campion on the *Power of the Dog* blew me away. I was really inspired by the work that she did, and so I, I I get a lot of I get a lot out of that. Like I get a lot out of learning how other people see the world, because it kind of helps me sort of pivot. I, I don't want to get stuck in a in a look rut, I don't want to be the dude that just shoots dot 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 dot. I don't know, whatever it is, deserts. Let's say. I mean, I've shot so many deserts now, I almost am the desert DP. But um, you know, I don't want to ever get known as somebody who that's that's my thing, you know. And I guess that you know, I, I like watching other DPs work, and also, mate, I like other DPs. I like talking to other DPs, like you know. Or and I are working it together at the moment. I and mean, we have great DP conversations about, you know, morally lighting. Like, should a light be here or there? Should it be higher or lower? Like, we have these kind of really interesting conversations. Because for the most part, on set, you don't work with other DPs. You work with, with, with your crew, who are not other DPs. So having other conversations with other DPs, I find really fun. I find, because, again, I like, listening to other people's points of view, particularly when it comes to cinematography or lensing or cameras or, you know, why some people like certain lenses. I mean, I, I, I love catching up with James Deakins and Roger Deakins um, as often as I can. You know, their lenses, I think they're using Master Primes. I, I've never been able to use a Master Prime because I can't make it look good. But Roger Deakins makes a Master Prime look amazing. And I'm, I'm like constantly... Trying to learn from that, I want to know how he makes it look amazing. So that if you know, I, I don't know. It's just it's just knowledge, isn't it? And it's about being inspired by a kind of a communal, a communal knowledge, you know. And I find that DPS are quite giving of their knowledge, and I like I like that. As in, I like giving my knowledge, and I like being being given knowledge. I think it improves all of our jobs.